tonight on Elvis Book Club. Elvis cruised the bars that had become his home away from home, intent on finding a woman to dominate and control, needing to regain the potency his mother had sucked out of him. One, two, three, four. Hello. Welcome to Elvis Book Club. I'm here talking with my good friend, Pat. Hey, Pat. Hey, Brad. This week, we read The Boy Who Would Be King, an intimate portrait of Elvis Presley by his cousin. It's a story of family ties, boners, and a very emotional Elvis, all told by a narrator who is quite possibly entirely unreliable. That narrator is Earl Greenwood, our titular cousin, who, newsflash, is maybe not a cousin or even someone who knew Elvis. So, Pat, let's talk Earl. What do you think of this character? I'm divided. At first, I started out and I was convinced it was all just a load of crap. But I think by the end, I warmed up to the dude. He gets off to a rough start at the beginning for me because talking about his motivations for doing it. And yeah. he's just not sure if he should write this book. But he does. Here we are. Reading <laughs> he fought through that. <laughs> yeah. All the books I've read about Elvis, I don't know if people say that explicitly every time, but there's definitely something to that with every one of these books. Oh, I'm not sure. I was never sure about this. Elvis was a very close personal friend of mine, and I, I treasure his memory so much. And here's some stories about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you hear about his dick? <laughs> we should backtrack a little bit. We chose this book to be our first episode because... In my hazy memory, I'd read this freshman year of college. I remember this being what I would consider a quintessential Elvis book in that might be a bunch of horseshit. It's sleazy and it's written by a person who claims to be Elvis's closest confidant. Yes. Right. And yet no one else has really heard of him. Right. So all of that we find in the intro, which is completely boilerplate, I would say. He sets his bona fides. I grew up with Elvis. We were like brothers, he says at one point. They trash other books, other authors, because obviously everyone else is kind of just in for a quick buck. Right. Saying, as you said, I do not want to hurt Elvis. The last thing in my mind, this isn't about hurting Elvis. But there's such a thing as honesty and the pressing need to have the honest truth about Elvis. Well, and this book, like others that I've read, it's uh, the justification. Some part of that is always, it's what Elvis would have wanted. Like right. Elvis would want the fans <laughs> to know the truth. And- I don't know, like some of the details in this book. I, I bet he wouldn't want people to know that. <laughs> yeah. Earl, make sure they knew I had a zitty back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to have warts burned off my hands. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, speaking to his bona fides here, it's right on the cover here. It says 32 pages of family photos. Right. And there are definitely 32 pages of photos. I believe there are maybe Two pictures that include Earl. Yes. And there might be a couple that were taken by Earl that seem pretty candid, but the rest are stock. For a guy claiming to be so like a brother to Elvis, certainly didn't treasure the photographs too well. Yeah, for someone who for decades, from earliest childhood all the way through 60s, there's only two photos. Yes. Neither are like candid, like inside a house. They all have that, that feel of Earl was hanging out by the gate. Yeah. So that's pretty suspect. Also, like, they, and this is very common, I find, in these books, is that he lays the impetus for writing it outside of him. It's always, I've waited 20 years to write this book, and I never would have, but the fans demand it. But the yeah. family demands it. There's nothing, yeah, nothing internal, no internal drive, and yeah, certainly nothing, like, venal. There's no desire for reward. It's strictly to serve these other people who right. are making these demands. Yes. 
Like, you got to tell your story, Earl. Like, no one knows the real Elvis. <laughs> right. You know, as with most of these books, he opens up with the death of Elvis, and he's, he gets the call, right? Yeah. And he's one of the first people they call. Oh, yeah, we need you, Earl. <laughs> so he flies back from L.A. to Memphis. They usher him through the crowds, the throngs of the mourners by the gates, mm-hmm. get him into the house. People are glad he's there. And he is immediately disturbed to find members of the Memphis Mafia literally fighting over jewelry. <laughs> I just picture there, there's like a pile of jewelry on a very long, white, like Persian rug. Yeah. And they're just clawing at each, with each other. <laughs> well, I think he talks about later on in the book, Elvis not being that mindful of money and valuables. And he talks about there being like jewelry strewn about Elvis's room that's been like tromped on and stuff. Yeah. So I could also see those guys just like butts up in the air, like trying to get under the couch. There's a tennis bracelet under there, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) This is a loose ruby. (laughs) So in our reading, obviously, as we're saying, there's, we have questions about the veracity of all this. There's a lot that lends credibility to what he's saying, I would say, in his telling. But I think we're not the only one with questions. (laughs) That would be questions about that. Yeah. So I did some, I did a very little bit of Googling on this. I'm not going to call it research. And immediately came across a guy called Bill Burke, who is the, I think he's the owner and publisher of the Elvis Information Network. Okay. Which is a pretty sweet site. It's basically a website. That apparently, it doesn't look to have been updated since like 2004. I hope Mr. Burke's still with us. (laughs) I do too, because he seems like a class act. He's also an Elvis author, I think, at that time. So that would have been 2004. He claims to have written, I think he's like 13 books or something. And he claims to be like the real factual dude, like primary research. He's talking to the family, talking to the friends. He's not getting it from other books. And he has great disdain for people who do not do his level of research. So he has some really interesting things to say. The main hit is that Earl claims to be a family member by saying his grandfather, Tom Greenwood, married Elvis's aunt, Vernon's sister, Dixie Presley. And Bill Burke drops the pretty significant bombshell that there is no Dixie Presley. What? (laughs) So it's interesting. As far as you look at the Elvis family trees, no Dixie there. Now, Earl's claim is that Dixie developed syphilis at an early age and as was the style at the time they basically locked her away sent her away she got very sick she kind of lost her mind as mm-hmm. syphilis will do and the family thereafter never spoke of her would not acknowledge her because there was such shame around that and th- that that makes sense to me within this book there's lots of it, it really does feel like at least the presley family or the greenwood part what other people think of their family is uh, foremost in their mind often it seems to be a motivating factor for Elvis. So I could, that makes sense to me. You buy that? I do. I can see the case for it, for sure. It's an interesting claim, for sure. By Earl's telling, she's like, what are we like chained in the attic? All right. They're feeding her fish heads and yeah. <laughs> yeah. But those are the main, that's the main vibe of the book. Like it's a definitely a question. There's stuff that feels very accurate and real and there's stuff that is very questionable. But let's yeah. dive deeper in and we'll see if we come to any like any firmer conclusions. Okay. So as we said, it's family ties, boners, and emotional Elvis. Yes. This is a much different Gladys than we've been presented with before. And I have to say, 
I don't know why this is a really refreshing look at Gladys for me because she is, uh, I don't know if she's handled with kid gloves and other portrayals of her or she's deified by Elvis. I think that's true, but you definitely get the other side of the coin here. Like as much as he loved her, I think he also resented her. Yeah. Definitely seeing that here. Yeah. The, you say refreshing and I, I agree it's so different. But I would not say refreshing because it's so dark. It's depressing to me. I see that, but I'm so put off by the notion that Elvis loved his mama so much when it's so, <laughs> it's just underscored here about how fucking worthless his family is. So I don't understand why that isn't hit upon more in other books. Everybody just seems to think, oh, Elvis's mom was a really loving woman who sacrificed everything for Elvis. And I guess she did, but there she definitely exacted a price along with that. And I just put myself in Elvis's shoes and man, having to come home to that would be rough. She kind of stymied him when it came to girlfriends and stuff like that. She's yeah. walking him to school well into his teenage years. Ugh. I, it's yucky. I would say, I mean, you say she sacrificed everything, but there's clearly not much to sacrifice That's true. in that family. There are plenty of stories of her being very giving in this, but correct in that, whereas in other books, she is only a giver and like a protector and she loves Elvis and it's mm -hmm. very like pure... In this, it is very, like, manipulative. Yes. And she is, all, yeah, very passive-aggressive, like an emotional drain on Elvis. Yes. She's not feeding him as much. They talk about her not being able to, like, stay in a job for very long. And I don't know if that's because she's sickly or if it's because she's a drunk. The way Earl paints it, the Vernon and Gladys and Elvis and really the Presley side of his family are like the lowest of the low, like the trashiest of white trash in Tupelo, wherever they live. So I don't know. I just I want to see Gladys trying a little harder before I turn her into a saint. I'll say this, like you have, you put it really well in here. Actually, when I looked at your notes, I highlighted this, that both Gladys and Vernon are a couple of albatrosses around his neck, weighing on the guilt, relying on him to supply the resources and meaning in their lives. The meaning part is really astute, I would say. Oh. <laughs> like, because she does, that is this weight she puts on Elvis. Yeah. Earl goes into a pretty clever bit. Clever in that I think it's probably, it feels very true. It's like emotionally intelligent about Gladys and Vernon still having physical relationship. Yeah. <laughs> And yet she would then immediately turn to Elvis for all her emotional needs. Yep. Which you can see being very awkward. And if you think about it, they're living in such close quarters. I think it like makes it all the more awkward. And literally like, yeah, they're in bed and he's on the couch in the front. Yeah. In the one room shack, basically. So there's her turning to him for the emotional intimacy. And then they talk about him sharing their bed in two different contexts. And this is a quote. He says, as an infant and toddler, Elvis shared his parents' bed. Later, when he moved to the couch of the one-room shack, he was still privy to their sexual relationship. And the suggestion there is that they were having sex while infant-slash-toddler Elvis was on the bed. The still, right? Oh, yes. So you think of him, like, swaddled and just bouncing off this mattress oh, and getting kneed in the head, right? <laughs> Undoubtedly a small mattress. Like, they're not... Yeah. It's no, it's no California king. Right. And then... When Vernon gets thrown in the clink, Elvis, of course, sleeps with Gladys. Mm -hmm. And then when Ir Vernon comes back, Elvis is uprooted from that privileged spot. Yeah. 
all of this feeding into this intense Oedipal thing. And you mix that in with Vernon's ways and inability or disinterest in providing. And so there's all this resentment that builds up in Elvis towards Vernon. Yeah. And again, I think the close quarters comes into that. Like everybody's observing that in the house. So Vernon is observing Gladys fawning over Elvis. Elvis is observing them like getting it on. (laughs) So it's just like- Pressure cooker. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've never heard that angle taken in any discussion of Elvis's formative years. But yeah, he grew up just watching his parents fornicate. From other Elvis books you've read, have you ever seen Gladys portrayed as such an out-and-out problem alcoholic? It's been a long time since I've read any of the Guralnik books, which I think is a pretty... I trust those books. I don't think I've ever seen Gladys focused on before like this, like actually talking about her as more than a a mom. So to see her portrayed as an alcoholic, it makes sense to me. I had never thought anything about her as a drinker ever, but I will say the portrait he paints, there's like an internal logic to it. And her overall attachment to Elvis feels, it makes sense that it would be driven by her drinking and stuff. I think previously I've just seen her portrayed as kind of sickly. Yeah. Like, we'll just leave it at that. So this makes sense, like, oh, here's why she's sickly. And it's not, I don't know, it's of her own doing, I guess. But then I also can't, you can't blame her because she's not out working. Maybe she's not out working because she drinks or is she drinking because she's not out working? I mean, that's, I don't know how you'd argue that, but I don't know. She's confined to that house. All she's got is Elvis. And then if Elvis isn't around and Vernon's in jail or whatever, like she needs a release sometime. So it makes sense to me that she would have a drink every now and then. Every couple hours. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of her... This overwrought attachment, definitely her walking Elvis to school is very strange. She does that. This is through sophomore year before in college or excuse me, in high school. Yeah. Before Elvis says anything. And do you remember what her, the compromise they come to? Doesn't he, she's got to follow him at a distance, right? Yeah. So she had been walking him to school through sophomore year high school. (laughs) And then, yeah, Elvis finally speaks up for himself. So she follows him a block behind. And she really puts up kind of a fight about that too. Like she she doesn't get it. In this book, that's her constant MO. She immediately goes into guilt and how painful that is, but then says, but, you know, I love you too much. Do whatever you need to do. Don't worry about poor old Gladys kind of deal, right? Just tearing the heart out of this young kid. Even though you know it'll kill me. Go ahead and do what you need to do. Yeah, you're more important. I love you too much. Her walking and her feet are a very interesting. Her feet come up a couple times in this book, I think, in interesting ways. There is one anecdote that I've never heard that is a point in her favor, I guess, even though it seems like an insane one. And the point being that they were so poverty stricken that whatever money they had to go to baby Elvis. And so she couldn't afford her own shoes. Mm-hmm. So she would instead walk around town wearing two or three pairs of socks. Yeah. <laughs> Which would mortify Elvis, of course. Yep. And you think, if that's true, is that the action of a giving, magnanimous mother? Or are those the actions of a trouble alcoholic who is shoveling around town in socks? How are are you saving money? The socks are going to have holes within five blocks. So even if she's got two or three, she's burning through. She's going through (laughs) socks at this alarming rate. But I also don't see... Gladys is a person who does a whole lot of walking either. Good point. She doesn't seem like the most active, healthy mom. I would say also, 
an interesting story is that when Elvis first makes money from singing, he gets his first bit of cash mm-hmm. to splurge. He buys Gladys this really nice pair of shoes that she can't wear because her feet are too swollen. So he does that later on too, right? Like he makes big money. I don't know if it's the RCA deal or something before that. And he buys her a cat, like he buys her a car and she can't drive. Right. So like, <laughs> yeah, it's all like these ex- expensive symbols of Elvis providing for his mom. That's interesting. And both are not only symbols of wealth, but symbols of mobility, which she can't <laughs> yeah. take part of, right? And in both cases, aren't they pretty like ostentatious? Like it yeah. kind of makes a point of these shoes are pretty like fancy and she'll probably never wear them, but I want to yeah. give mama the best. And I think the first car he got her was a Cadillac, I'm sure. But certainly there were other probably cheaper, more utilitarian options, but- Not Elvis's style. No, not at all. No. Elvis never bought a woman a pair of flats. <laughs> no. Yeah, I just love, there's something about the swollen feet that it's like this dark reverse fairy tale. You know? Yeah. Like your friend's charming and they get these nice shoes, but the feet are just like uh, grotesque oh, and yeah. pink and swollen. Yeah. <laughs> Not to knock her, the woman's past. I don't want to, I actually, honestly, I felt bad. Kind of an easy target. Yeah. And she's, I'm sure she's a very good woman, but she's- yeah. She's not a 2020 gal who went to college. Yeah, and I guess my frustration with Gladys is not so much with Gladys as it is with how she's been portrayed. Like, she's a saint. She's a martyr. I totally agree. And this portrait of her as a much more troubled woman, I don't know that I completely buy, but it certainly points to in a direction that feels a lot realer. Yes. And as I said, it makes emotional sense, psychological sense. Yeah. I mean, if Elvis is kind of a, a nut job later on, if Elvis is a troubled dude, she's got some responsibility in that as well. And the idea that her love is at least partially tainted by self-interest and her troubles with the bottle and that kind of thing. And at the same time, Elvis's then response to that is love that's also troubled and it feels suffocated. That's, as we know, that's how life works, as opposed to the standard story, which is she has this pure benevolent love. Which Elvis returns. Yes. You know? Yep. So I buy it. I just, it's uncomfortable to buy it as deeply as the depths that Earl goes here. Yep. Is not pleasant. No. So she gets sick. You do say these, he has all these troubles with his family, and yet he never lived alone, which is really shocking. And I, I never really thought about that before, but you know, he gets his first taste of money and freedom and we'll, we'll see girls. And he's not like, oh, I'll get my parents a nice place and I'll get myself a nice place. Yeah. He's like, I'll get us all this nice place. Yep. It seems crazy, right? It certainly could be that he wished to, but that was another guilt trip from Gladys. Or he preemptively knew that he would never be able emotionally to do that to her. Yeah. That could be. Also, I do think back in those days, it was very uncommon for people to move out of home. Yeah. You would move out when he got married. Right. So I remember like my grandfather, He when he moved to Chicago from Iowa, he moved to a boarding house. Because there was a woman there who would do his cooking and clean and all that. Because it was back in the day when men literally did not know how to do that stuff. Yeah. You know? So I could see that too. It just wasn't part of the culture. It never even crossed his mind. Right? And, you know, he goes so far as he not only takes them to basic training with him. He takes the whole family down to Texas for basic. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so the Gladys thing, there's a big point in this too that Elvis feels when he meets Priscilla that she's the living embodiment of the dead Gladys. Right? So creepy. (laughs) <laughs> that's not how you felt about your wife no 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 
<laughs> oh, man. No. It kind of makes some sense that Priscilla was put on a pedestal and was sort of a porcelain doll for all this. Yeah. And in Earl's book, they don't seem to have much of a sexual relationship. Right. The impetus for that being that Gladys's soul is in there, basically, right? Right. And he doesn't want to be poking. Don't they even say at some point that, like, he's so struck by how much of a resemblance there is, like, between Priscilla and old photos of Gladys? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it's pretty gnarly. You know, he marries her. She's Gladys's living embodiment. But then he doesn't seem really comfortable with having sexual relationships with her. So he continues to carouse. Yes. You're right. He expects her to fill that Gladys role. And as far as like Gladys was trapped in their little house or whatever. So mm. Priscilla is expected to stay home and like make a good home for him and be there and provide comfort when he gets home. And she's not expected to have a life outside of Graceland or Elvis. He does very much put her into, yeah, you're right, a very similar role that Gladys was put into. But Priscilla chooses karate instructors over drink. She does. One fun element, maybe the only fun element of Gladys's alcoholism, is that she would eat big chunks of onion to disguise her alcohol yeah. breath. The lady walking down the street with socks on her shoes, she <laughs> smells like onions. Her son's walking a block ahead of her. You, wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't look at that lady and say, like, what a good mom. Yeah, so embarrassing. She's fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more I think about the socks thing, it's really, that seems like a retroactive explanation. Like, oh, she didn't have money for her shoes. She had all the money with Elvis because she loved Elvis so much. <laughs> yeah. just, Man, and you know her feet were just like so swollen and nasty. Yeah. Ugh. Yellow toenails. Yeah. Well, rest in peace. So let's move into a little Vernon talk. As we kind of touched on, Elvis seems very angry at Vernon from the beginning. There's a lot of Oedipal resentment there. All that feels very accurate to me. Like, that all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And doesn't feel outside of the standard story. Like, I don't think anyone has claimed. Did Vernon ever write a book? I don't believe so. I mean, why would he? He was plenty taken care of after Elvis died, I'm sure. So there's no need for him to write a book, Yeah, I would think. Plus, I just don't see him wanting to put in the work. Yeah. I mean, by write, I meant dictate. Yeah. <laughs> or pay someone to write a book, yeah. claiming that he wrote it. Yeah. yeah. I think the only reason to write a book would be to claim he had a better relationship than he did. Because mm-hmm. the story that everyone else tells is that, like, really no one liked him very much. Like, yeah. His whole family sort of disowned him. I had always heard the story of him bouncing a check, which I guess he stole a check from his employer mm-hmm. and wrote, wrote it and got caught. Yes. Yeah. But I did not know he also got pinched for running a still. Yeah. Is that what he went to jail for or prison? Was it for the still or for the check? I'm I'm hazy already. He went to prison for the check. Okay. Because when they got him for the still, Tupelo oh, that's right. Sheriff- they, they booted him out of town pretty much. Well, they gave him the option. Yeah. It was either jail or leave Tupelo. Right. Which I don't know that I'd ever heard that. Like he got run out of town. Yeah. It'll be interesting as we read more books to see if the still comes up more. It feels like that would be- the story people would tell other than the check. The check feels so like kind of namby-pamby and almost like urban. Mm-hmm. But if you're telling the story of Elvis coming up from nothing, hayseed, rural world, his dad getting pinched for on a still is like, if you're telling the story, this rags to riches story of Elvis, then Vernon getting arrested for running a still fits in a lot better than him bouncing a check. Yeah. And so you would think if this was actually happened, that would be the story people would lean on. Well, I feel like I've heard other stories of Vernon, too, like 
didn't he get in trouble for stealing a pig or something like that? <laughs> like, I feel like he stole a pig and then bought a hat and got in trouble for that. But I, maybe I've got that wrong. But I was I was surprised not to see mention of a pig. But I, I just, I, Vernon, I see as more uh, as like a petty criminal. The, ver, the relationship with Vernon is pretty icy throughout the entire book. Yes. And it turns into... I don't even know what you would call it, like dry ice levels of coldness mm-hmm. when he marries D. Yes. Who it makes sense to me that a second wife or second husband would not hit it off with the kids. Yeah. And it's kind of to be expected. Mm-hmm. It is not the norm to have such rage and hatred towards the woman. But Elvis is in a position also where he's not a 14 year old kid who's like dealing with a stepmom, right? He's the guy at the top of the totem pole. He's the breadwinner for his dad. And he definitely feels like he has the right to act out, I think, in that position. So his dad is not in a position to tell Elvis, like, you need to respect me because you live under my house and you play by my rules. Like, that's not happening at all. Yeah. But yeah, it just underscores his his resentment of his dad. I don't think there's anyone at any time that that Elvis is going to be okay with marrying his dad. Yeah. He did meet Dee in Germany. So it was within two years of her death. And he's been living with Elvis the whole time. It does seem a little tight in terms of the time frame. Yeah, but I also, Earl seems to make it pretty clear that Gladys and Vernon, their relationship was one of sort of, they made their bed, they had to lie in it, basically. They were bound to one another because of Elvis and just because of their circumstances. It wasn't It wasn't a super romantic and I, as much as I'm not a, f- a fan of Vernon, Earl describes Vernon's relationship with Dee as like it sounds like they were really in love. It sounds like Vernon was a pretty charming guy. Yeah. This woman was married to some kind of army officer. So she wasn't Sergeant. just like, yeah, she wasn't just some bar chick. They really hit it off. And it sounded like they were really in love. So like, yeah, good Vernon is, again, like, (laughs) such a a doofus. Like, I don't know. It it sounded sweet. And as much as that as Vernon can be sweet. Yeah, that's definitely the case. He also paints Vernon as, at the beginning of the book, he just seems like he's barely a presence. and Mm -hmm. He's kind of a dope. But every time he speaks up throughout maybe pretty much past Gladys passing, he makes a lot of sense. Like, he's the sensible one, while Elvis is just the Tasmanian devil. Well, it is sensible in that his sense, though, seems to be relegated to, like, economics. It usually seems about, yeah. like, like, boy, Elvis, we don't really need... Do you need to spend all that money on this or that? And, like, you really should uh, listen to the colonel, because he's going to make you the most money. Yeah. I don't see Vernon taking up for Elvis's mental health or just like, hey, Elvis, what you're my son. I want you to be happy. What makes you happy? Yeah. Um, he, he's not interested in that. Yeah, he's not doing much fatherly stuff. But yeah, he is. I guess you're right. I, I took it as sense, but he's really just being conservative and safe with Elvis's money. <laughs> yeah. Because it mentions in the book, Earl mentions in the book that I think this was like right after the RCA deal, both Elva, or both Vernon and Gladys stopped working. Yes. Like officially. I mean, they right. hadn't worked. I don't much think they were doing day. much working up to that point, but like they decided to retire yeah, after that. Officially retired. Yeah. So then I would say the last member of the family, possibly the most impactful, Jesse Guerin. Yes. I would say for a dead baby yeah he really gets a stillborn child wow what an influence definitely like he is the heart of that family i would say 
Gladys brings him up constantly. Elvis, he apparently is always in Elvis's thoughts. Yes. He prays to him. Yep. Yep. They make a point after Gladys dies, I guess Elvis is really sullen at the service. And it sounds like his faith in God is shaken. And he says, from then on, I will only pray to to Gladys (laughs) and to Jesse. He's not praying to God anymore. That is harsh. I don't remember that. That's really a a bad move. (laughs) But the Jesse really functions as a very sharp tool in Gladys's manipulative. That's exactly what I was going to say. He's a, she says something quote, Jesse wouldn't treat his mama in this bad way. Like hearing that, can you imagine growing up hearing that every time you do something, your mom doesn't like your drunken mother, (laughs) their enormous feet smells like onions. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that would, that would do a big number on you. Yeah. I just, I have this, picture of like the ghost of this little like elvis like floating in the household (laughs) just like there to both inspire and to scare elvis (laughs) i thought it was weirdly charming that when elvis decided he wanted to visit jesse's grave this is after gladys passed and vernon didn't remember where they buried him yeah i know in an unmarked grave and he was so mad at his dad like how can you not know that it is a lapse I would yeah say. you would think that would be fairly burned into your mind but also like i don't know do they i guess they do i'm trying to remember like they didn't like give him the fetus like all right you can go bury this like, no the I, hospital would take care of it well was there a hospital or was he just like born at home yeah they don't go into that i don't know yeah i don't know Jesse's a huge, a huge figure for Gladys and Elvis. Yeah. I'm guessing maybe not so much for Vernon. Vernon's like, on to the next. Yeah. I would like to know where he was buried. Cause like the idea of them having to bury their own kid is horrible. Yeah. And you would well, think you would certainly remember. But as far as Vernon goes, I could see like, oh yeah, we like my wife had a baby today. And I, oh, I got to take this trash out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of what I was just thinking. Like maybe he couldn't remember where they buried it. Cause it was a deal where like, Vernon, go bury the baby. He's like, yeah, I'll take care of it. And literally just hucks it out the window <laughs> yeah. into the woods. But uh, I've got a couple of kids. And like, uh, that would be terrible to have like a stillborn twin. But I think my focus would be on the baby that lived. So yeah. so like, yeah, Doc, do what you need to do. I got a mouth I got to feed here. Yeah. We'll have to keep our eyes out for that. Like find the uh, circumstances of the birth and maybe get some more info on that. Let's talk boners. Yeah. The second main theme of this book, uh, Behind Family Ties. It's juicy stuff. This is really the good part of this book. (laughs) (laughs) Juicy is a gross way to put it. Yeah. We should just dive in. Yeah. Do we need to lay any towels down? (laughs) (laughs) What's the main takeaway you get about Elvis's sexuality from this book? Uh, He... He's definitely very much into the physical side of sex. Like I think in the past, I'd viewed Elvis as a, a tender romantic. I'd always thought of him, I, I'd idealized him as a real gentleman. And he is he is not a gentleman so much. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to paint too unkind a picture of Elvis, but he likes to get down. And uh, the term sex is a weapon comes up a lot in this book. Yeah, so he definitely gets down. And I would not say you are painting him in a bad way. Like, you are simply reporting the findings of this book. Yeah, he's definitely, he has appetites, let's put it that way. Like, yeah. And somehow in the telling of this, like, it's it's racy stuff, it's pretty lurid, but I don't, 
I don't fault him too much either. Why is that? I don't know. I guess it's just like I, I'm always going to come down on the side of Elvis when it, <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to this this stuff. And like, I just see Elvis as kind of like a a bored dude who needed something to do. And, yeah, uh, this was it. Praying on women <laughs> was his choice. Yeah, but praying with willing participants for the most part, wouldn't you say? I would say exclusively. I mean, I don't think you need to qualify that. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so. That's kind of where I'm coming from with. I can't come down too hard on him. Yeah. I mean, he's not raping women. You know, yeah. But I wouldn't hesitate to say he's not acting in a gentlemanly fashion. No, that's for sure. He's definitely not. I think that's fair. But he's not a complete scoundrel either, I don't think. Well, I don't know, actually. I mean, his relationships with women, this book paints them as being primarily resentment-based. Yes. Like, his sexuality comes from anger Yes. Almost exclusively, right? As it's told in this book, def- yes. Yeah. Yeah, almost exclusively. I would agree with that. Yeah, it's like the extension of this lifetime of disadvantage and feeling ashamed for being poor and being something of an outcast. Yes. He really is like the cruel star. He's the conniving seventh grader. Like one of these days, all these girls will want me. And I'll, I'll show them. Yeah. it's There's definitely a lot of I'll show them. Yeah. We've got quotes here, which we can get into. Let me jump into a couple. Quote number one from page 133 for those following along. For someone who slept with a couple girls a week, Elvis was still shy around proper girls who couldn't be dismissed as mattresses. Sex became a great equalizer for Elvis. He felt inferior around most girls, especially those with any kind of breeding, unless he'd conquered them in the bedroom, proving their cheapness and his superiority. As he got older, knocking good girls off their pedestals became a favorite pastime. And every time he succeeded in doing it, his disillusionment with women grew. Okay, I feel, I feel like I want to walk back some of my earlier statements. <laughs> Just thinking about <laughs> That's, I don't know, that's, 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 that's the behavior of a scoundrel. It's, I mean, it's scoundrelly behavior, possibly, but depending on how empathetic you want to be, you could see that yeah. as coming out of a hurt person. Right. Like a and, In a way, he own. can't help it. Yeah. yeah. He's a damaged, pained person. He's lashing out right. with his penis at the women <laughs> of Memphis yes. and then the nation. And, the, and yeah, and the South. Thankfully, they, they didn't do international touring. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Bunch of sad French chicks, right? <laughs> yeah. Here's another couple quick quotes and this is a uh there's a woman kind of hitting on him in some bar from page 153 like a lot of women he met she was attracted to the performer with a little interest in the man elvis resented it even if he was using them in a similar way but not enough to walk away he'd get even later when they were alone oh man <laughs> that is dark <laughs> yeah i mean that's like the worst kid in the fraternity right yeah like everyone else is doing bad stuff but he has this angry core to his ungentlemanly, as you would put it, behavior. I was thinking about this casually over the week, that there have to be literally thousands of articles of clothing out there with Elvis's dried semen on them, right? Because how many of these women would ever wash that? If you're in the late 50s and Elvis bangs you in the back of his car and he sprays all over your poodle skirt <laughs> <laughs> or your sweater, your Angora sweater, like, right. are you washing that? I don't know. I, I don't know how girls felt about bodily fluids back then, I guess. Yeah, you think girls aren't don't have that retention instinct? Girls are 
a lot less gross than guys when it comes mm, to that kind of stuff. I don't know, dude. I don't, <laughs> no? If I'm to believe the 80s representation of the 50s, it seemed very common that women would be like, I'm never going to wash his hand again. Yeah, but I guess a sweat and a... <laughs> a batch? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, just a theory. So not only is he uh, going out using uh, his penis as a sword, taking down great wheat fields of women, knocking them off their pedestals. He's also into uh, young gals, which I don't think is probably any great shock to anyone. No, but then I think as time passes, uh, the verdict around that, like, I don't know, as attitudes change, I mean, there are all the rock, early rock and roll songs about, you know, you're 16. Oh, yeah. Beautiful and, you know, teenage, teenage love. Well, yeah. I mean, I know what you're saying, though also I would... In my mind, a lot of those songs, I'm sure you know this, obviously, most of the, so many of those songs aren't written from the singer's perspective. It's they're writing it for two teens to listen to as right. they paw each other in some car, right? Yeah, that's true. Cars were popular sexual destinations for teens in the 50s, I would yeah. say. Yep. Elvis being beyond not an exception, if anything, sort of a, in the vanguard of. Yes, definitely on the cutting edge of getting it on in cars. <laughs> yeah. They have him using cars at the early stages as an expedient measure because he's living with both his parents. Yep. He wants to bang these chicks. Where else do you go? You go into your car. That's fine. But then as he continues through life and has more options, he seems to still enjoy using the car. And at some point it moves into almost a further expediency in that he can then, he doesn't have to waste the time of taking women home because he's going to be going through multiple women's in a night. Did I say women's? I believe I did. Because, uh, multiple women in a night. You know, so he, if he just takes them to the back parking lot, yeah. obviously he can cut down commute a lot. Yeah, save on gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He bangs in uh, limos a lot. Once he gets to that stage, he poked Natalie Wood in a limo, apparently a limo that was being followed by another limo yeah. with Gladys and Vernon in it. Natalie came to visit Memphis. So Elvis showed her a good time. He took her to the movies with his family. Great, <laughs> great night out. Yeah. Then driving back, he banged her in the back of a limo. <laughs> and then they get back to Graceland and they all say good night. And what folly does Natalie Wood get into? Well, I, she decides to sneak into Elvis's room. She's ready for more. Yeah. And uh, Elvis does not react well to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I would say he reacts very poorly. Yeah, he he kicks her out of his room, and I think he's just not comfortable uh, doing those dirty things uh, in the same house, under the same roof as his parents. Yeah, specifically Gladys, of course. Yeah, yeah he really, uh, by the telling of this book, he really turns immediately. Uh, Natalie Wood is very rude, tells her to leave the room, and then the next morning kind of coldly brushes her off. Yeah, that's he's kind of done with her after that, isn't he? Yeah, I think... Uh, as I recall, she, it's apparent to her very early the next morning that her visit is done and it's time to go. Right. So she really blew it. I mean, that's Elvis 101, though. You know, you got to know. <laughs> Elvis, is, Elvis is pilot of the boat. I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> the more I think about the Gladys thing, that seems kind of odd. Uh, and I think maybe speaks more to his Oedipal relationship with Gladys than <clears throat> it does, like, his respect. Because, like... I certainly respected my parents and loved my parents, mm -hmm. but as a young man, teen, I did not hesitate. If any girl wanted to touch any part of me in that house, yeah. I was more than happy about that. Yeah. 
And I think that's only because I genuinely did not have sexual feelings towards my mother. (laughs) Whereas I think Elvis, if he's sort of, they're sort of mixed in there. Yeah, it gets a little complicated with that, I think. And that certainly ties into the reports from earlier in the book that Elvis was not only in the same shotgun shack as his parents banged, but when he was a swaddled infant, would actually be on the bed as they banged. Right. Getting knocked around. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> Vernon's knees on his head, his little baby head on his fontanelle, getting all bushed up. <laughs> Though actually, it would probably be Gladys's knees, because you got to imagine Vernon, as a bad back guy, is always taking the bottom. Yeah, I don't know. Vernon's not a thruster. No way. Definitely not with a bad back. But I, I don't know. Is there? But then, how much credence do we give to the fact that he really had a bad back? Like, did he have a? Yeah. I'm sure he had a bad back when it came to like applying for jobs. But when it came to, like, romance. Yeah. I mean, I don't believe he had a bad back. I do believe he was, like, very lazy. Yeah. And I do also kind of assume that that laziness would move into the bedroom as well. So. Okay. I can see him being, yeah. a, being a bottom dude. Yeah. Let Gladys do the work. Yeah. And that actually feeds into, because if Elvis, swaddled Elvis, is on the bed, Gladys is up top, then she's presumably looking down at Elvis while she's banging. You think she's holding her, holding him in her, in her arms and feeding Elvis, breastfeeding Elvis while on top of Vernon? Possibly. But if not that, then certainly, yeah, probably just laying next to Vernon, probably up by his shoulders. Yeah. You know? Like kind of, oh, yeah. So she's looking at Elvis, baby Elvis, while she's getting drilled. So anyway, so this all leads to Elvis growing up with a complicated uh, set of feelings towards Gladys. Yeah. And also, interestingly enough, Elvis gets very into group sex. Yep. In a, according to this book. If one is good, two is better. Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting to think that possibly since those were his first and presumably most formative sexual experiences would be bouncing around in the bed while Gladys and Vernon porked. Mm-hmm. That maybe that fed into that. That sex is something beyond two people. It's, there's a more of, it's more of a community thing. We never really talked about Red driving him around. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, Elvis is screwing chicks in the back of the car with Red driving him around. And presumably, this is not like a stretch limo with a, a partition you can right. put up. So this is in full view of Red, I guess. And then, like, how does that work? Does Red just, like, keep his eyes straight on the road? Or is he, like, <laughs> <laughs> looking behind his shoulder? And is Elvis like, hey, get a load of this, Red, and you know, <laughs> sh- showing off for him? Yeah. Who knows? That's interesting. He's got to be showing off at some – there's oh, no yeah. way he's not. At least, like, catching glances in the uh, rear view. Yeah, especially with other stuff that gets retold in this book. Like, yeah, I'm sure he's he's showing off for his buddy. Yeah. Ugh. You think Red ever tried to, like, steal a kiss? I got a stoplight. <laughs> I don't know. I think the section you're referencing where it's a younger Elvis, he's so horny that Red is just driving him around Memphis and Red would pull up to some fans or some gals. Hey, y'all know Elvis Presley? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's cute. Yeah. And then, you know, Elvis might Want to meet him? The- yeah. <laughs> like hop in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, Elvis is back there and they would just drive around it sounded like maybe just driving the block a couple of times elvis would pork these kids yeah and then drop them off mm-hmm. and then go on to the next yeah you know it's such a dark weird very bob crane very autofocus kind of vibe to that yeah it's so removed from anything 
tender and it's like it's it's like a crack at it. Yeah. Needing like multiple and just driving around through the streets, mm-hmm. like needing to like get this fix over and over and over. Yeah. Really sounds exhausting. That story really sticks out to me. And it's nothing like it's not as wild as most of the sex stories in this, but mm-hmm. there's just something at the core of that that is unsettling to me. But yeah, so beyond that, there's yeah, the gay stuff, the soft homosexuality that occurs between E well, actually soft yet forced homosexuality between E and Earl, which is you want to take us through that night. They're at a, a, a party. I don't know if it's a, would you call it a rager or is it just like a regular like everybody's hanging out and having a good time? Yeah. And I it, think there are ladies around, whatever. Yeah. And Elvis just decides it's time to go to bed. So uh This is at Graceland. Yeah. So Announces that he's done, and he says to Earl, and this is a quote from the book, come on, Earl, let's go to bed. And Earl's kind of, like, puzzled. Yeah. Like, what? But I, ultimately, I guess you you do what Elvis says. Yeah. They were, you know, retired to the bedroom. Elvis <laughs> lays down in bed, and uh, Earl gets to, to either lay with him until he goes to sleep, or maybe they just go to sleep together. But yeah. In the same bed. The idea being that Elvis needs someone there in the room with him. To help him fall asleep, or I don't know what that's all about. Just to feel someone else's presence, to feel safe and secure. Yeah. They use the phrase here, warm body next to him. It sounded like a super shaming experience for Earl to be in this party with a bunch of people. And then Elvis just stands up, like snaps his fingers. He, he's humiliated, but also sort of bemused. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he pushes back a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then Elvis, whatever, lays down the law. Yeah. Can you imagine, like, Elvis walking up the stairs, you kind of slump down behind behind him, walking up the stairs, yeah. paces behind. Yeah, yeah. All the other partygoers have gotten quiet and are just watching you. All these girls are, like, watching you walk up these stairs. Like, Yeah, it, it's totally weird. And then you have to, like, yeah, Elvis. I mean, imagine Elvis was a pajamas guy. He was in pajamas when he was found deceased. Yeah, it sounds accurate to me. Yeah. But Earl didn't live there, so. See, I just, yeah, I just picture Earl, like, kicking off his shoes and like maybe <laughs> untucking his shirt, yeah, and like laying down on top of the covers next to Elvis, <laughs> just the whole time. Like, what is going on? And like, he doesn't have a a smartphone to like, you know, he can't can't play solitaire while no. this is going on. He's just got to like, I don't know if he and Elvis are like shooting the breeze or he's got to like quietly sing to Elvis or something <laughs> like that. But he's just got to lay there and wait for Elvis to go to sleep or go to sleep himself. I picture him having to get under the covers. I think him being on top of the covers doesn't it? He might as well be sitting in a chair. What kind of what kind of bed do you think they're like? What size? I'm California King. I'm sure the oh, biggest okay. bed yeah. you could get, right? So it's not like a like a full. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, I don't think they're squeezed up on not, there. No, spooning together. But I think they're both under the covers. I think since Earl didn't live there, he didn't have pajamas there. So I see Elvis putting him in a pair of his pajamas. Yeah, likely too big for Earl. I don't know what their size ratio is, yeah. but I'd like to think that it's an awkward fit, <laughs> like a girl picking up her boyfriend's oh, yeah. dress shirt, you know, uh-huh. that kind of deal. Crawling under bed. I like to imagine Elvis then needing to read for a half hour <laughs> <laughs> with his reading glasses on and reading about the Shroud of Turin or some kind of spiritual book. Yeah, and he needs it to be absolutely quiet. So he's got to like, Earl speaks up because I'm like, Elvis, you sure you want me here? And it's like, shh. <laughs> yeah. Reading about numerology, Earl has to be perfectly still and perfectly quiet. And then Elvis, you know, quicks off the light mm-hmm. without even looking at Earl. He's already on his shoulder, facing away from night Earl. Then he has to sit there wide awake and stock still. As I imagine, yeah. any, like turning, Elvis is not a fan of that. Yeah. And Elvis is also probably a blanket hog. 
what you, a blanket hog oh don't you think yeah like angrily yeah yeah and not even because like yeah on purpose <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like cult stuff yeah you know that's the kind of like humiliation and emasculating that like a cult leader puts there yeah and he does this stuff and these guys just like hang around eat it up yeah i, mean, I would say actually that his claim that he and elvis were closer than brothers is fully thrown out the window just by his doing this kind of shit yeah because we both have brothers mm-hmm. and the amount of patience and tolerance I would show my brother over any kind of overstepping. Yeah. It would immediately be a fist fight. We would be rolling on the floor. Yeah. Like, and if they truly did grow up as brothers, this wouldn't be the first time that Earl is like, has to sleep in bed with Elvis. (laughs) You'd think that like, this is something that was established much younger for this to kind of come out of nowhere at this late date in their relationship. You're going to have to do better on convincing me you were closer than brothers. <laughs> yeah. Girl. Yeah. That's a good point. So he gets very into how loose women are. Yeah. Loose comes up in this book as a descriptor of a woman's vaginal attributes. Yeah. Comes up more than any other book I've ever read. It's like talking to my seventh grade self. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a off-putting to say the least. Yeah. But it comes up, it seems almost constantly in this book. And partially Elvis gets very concerned about the looseness of women. <laughs> Uh, And we're not talking moral looseness. We're talking physical looseness. Right. But it centers around their possibly having had children, because after Gladys passes, he becomes very concerned about sleeping with women who are mothers. Right. And he is not in any way about to do that. Yep. Which bodes poorly for Priscilla. (laughs) Yes. Certainly does. But yeah, so Elvis would, you know, in his nightly rounds of gathering women to have sex with, he, or I like to think Red would have asked, like, do you have a baby? Have you ever been a mother? (laughs) Yeah. And if they said yes, then they were out. Right. Cut. Though, I don't know. He, well, you think he would have let him give him like handies or something? Elvis? Yeah. Like a mother. No, I think that like, don't bother. We'll just move on to the next one. Yeah. No sexual contact at all with the mother. Yeah. By that. You think Elvis ate pussy? Man, I don't know. I don't think so. If if we're to believe what's in this book, if it's all about power and superiority, yeah, I don't think he would. But like a Dixie Lock, like someone he had feelings for. Maybe he would have if given the opportunity at that time, but just the way things shook out. Wasn't into it? No. Some guys just love it. So even if it was a power thing, it would be more for his pleasure, you know, getting his nose in it. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a good question. Thank you. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I don't see him as being a, I don't, well, I don't know, man. I was going to say I don't really see him as being really into uh, pussy eating, but I can also kind of see him being one of those guys who are super into pussy eating. It's <laughs> <laughs> so one of the two, right? Yeah. I think it's probably no middle ground. He is in a position where there's no need for there to be middle ground. Yeah. He doesn't need it to be nice. Mm-hmm. He's doing it because he loves it mm-hmm. or he's not doing it because he doesn't want to do it. Right. I'm leaning towards him not doing it because yeah. he doesn't want to do it. I'm thinking it's icky. <laughs> Like it's kind of gross. Yeah. I mean, I could also see him thinking like that's that's dirty too. And he just likes to like, like it's, it's strictly peen vag contact. <laughs> <laughs> anything else is an aberration. Yeah. I don't yeah. see him being, I don't see Elvis being casual about anything in the bedroom. Mm-hmm. It's either like, yeah, I really like that. Or I, we're not doing that. Or that's yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And we'll have to keep our eye out in further books. 
about the uh, pussy eating thing. Yeah. And if not, if we ever get like Larry Geller in here, that's it. We should start writing down questions if we ever get like (laughs) an actual Elvis confidant in here. Was he that kind of companion? Like, was he part of the the mafia? Was he up to shenanigans with them? Or would he and Elvis get together and get deep? The latter. I think Larry was probably very aloof from the other Memphis mafia. Considered himself at a different level. Mm -hmm. And yeah, would not mix you know, comfortably. And then, yeah, even like s- symbolically, that makes sense. Cause I always picture the Memphis mafia down in like the pool room yeah, or the music room. Larry Geller is up in the bathroom with Elvis and it's inner sanctum. Yeah. Higher elevation than the others. Uh huh. Gently stroking Elvis's head. Right. Scalp. And yeah, talking about cloud formations and things yeah. like that. And yeah. N- Significant numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, so Elvis would ask these women if they were a mother or had ever given birth or anything like that. If uh, yes, he would, immediately send them away and then once they were actually getting busy if he felt she was looser than he expected yeah if there was any suspicion at all she had to go yeah he would freeze up and just it sounds like mid coitus just kick her out yeah so he's still got a heart on he's just like pointing towards the door and then they <laughs> yeah. send some other girl up there yeah yeah and just see her like just like disappointedly like picking up her clothes <laughs> off the floor and just like slinking out of the room yeah oh man being like should i ask for an autograph i think so <laughs> i think i'll just go yeah so the looseness is a big thing but earl makes a semi-interesting point that elvis's disinclination to sleep with the mother is partially what led him to sleep with younger girls mm-hmm like early teens is kind of his bag yeah. in this, you know, because they would be less likely to have, to be mothers. Mm-hmm. That sounds like probably not the main reason, <laughs> I would guess. <laughs> it might be a partial yeah. of the reason, but I think that's a multivariate issue for Elvis. Yeah. I mean, it leads to the question of how many illegitimate children Elvis likely had. And I've been of the opinion for quite a while that I think it's a lot. And after having read this book, I tend to agree. Coming into this, I thought he was a a tender and gentlemanly lover. <laughs> but it se- it sounds like this book, he's just like ripping through chicks one after yeah. the other, like multiple girls at a time, multiple girls a night. So like, I think it's much more likely that there are some illegitimate little Elvises out there um, yeah. than I thought previously. Yeah. My eyes have been opened. <laughs> Your eyes have been gaped. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't picture him as, I don't think he's a big, he's not a condom guy. No. I can picture Vernon and Parker buying tons of condoms for him. Yeah. And begging him to use them, (laughs) putting them in his pockets and stuff. Yeah. And him not. Just like flipping them out the window as they drive down the highway. Him having zero use for him. Yeah. Yeah, I I picture him strictly raw dog. I think probably the only thing that saved him from being super, having just like hundreds of kids is that, you know, I think he liked to like see a splash. (laughs) The spectacle of ejaculation. Don't you think? Yeah. Well. (laughs) He's a simple guy. Yeah. There's there's a quote in here about, him having to put towels down on the back of a car. And yeah. I mean, just knowing that, yeah, this guy is like, he's like a fountain, probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, in fairness, the towels are for pussy juice. As well as <laughs> All of it. Juice. Just how gooey it would get oh. back there. Oh, man. Going through a lot of towels, too. Yeah. You can't but reuse those towels, hopefully. No, I, I don't see Elvis as a guy who would want to reuse those towels, even if he could. So nasty. So you imagine like they probably 
You think there's leather upholstery in the back? Like something you can wipe down, right? Yeah. I would imagine. But then so. does it get slippery with the towels on there? Like just the logistics of car sex. And weighing up How'd the it towels. How'd it work? It's very funky. Yeah. And did they save the towels and then clean them? Yeah. And I, I for some reason, I'm picturing like a, a whole grip of like hand towels, but it's probably like, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably like big beach towels, right? Yeah. I think probably beach towels. And I think- And I think bleached white. Oh, you think? Oh, bright white. Yeah. Oh, you think? Yeah. So you think they washed them? Instead of just throw them out. No, no, no. I, I mean, I think like they're Store prepared. Fresh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm picturing red in the front, passenger seat, a stack of towels. <laughs> Elvis in the back. And red just driving with one hand and throwing <laughs> towels over his shoulder, not yeah. even looking. <laughs> and Elvis, you think Elvis is laying down those towels or he's telling the girls No, to? no way. You think red or the girls is like laying down the Vester towels? Or somebody like that. Well, no, but between women. Oh. Laying, laying them down in the back. Oh, yeah. Well, probably Red then, or you know, if Red can get somebody else to do it, somebody else. I don't know. I just don't see Elvis doing anything like that. Yeah. Like, Elvis doesn't have to do any of the prep work for anything. He just, like, he shows up, there are towels down, girls are getting on, you know. He goes home, dinner's on the table. You know, he goes in the studio, they're ready to go, Elvis, when you are. Like, that's, yeah. that's how he lives his life. So he's definitely not throwing yeah. towels down. That's a good point. So I bet it's, they finish with a girl, they drop her off, they park by some public, like some garbage can. Elvis gets out the back, Red goes around, takes the towels, the used towels, mm-hmm. throws them out, or if they're going to wash them later, throws them in the trunk. Uh, or at a time when being a litter bug probably wasn't as big a deal, just like tossing them out the window. Tell the, be the girl like, why don't you take these if you find a garbage can? Yeah, or just, or just like as they are screaming down the road, like just, <laughs> just huck them out. rolling down the window. Yeah, huck them in the ditch. <laughs> that could be too. Yeah. But I think if they did stop, that they would throw them out, and then Red would immediately lay down the new towels, probably tucking them in, Yeah. you know, between the vertical and the horizontal parts of the seat yep. so they stay. Yeah. I'm sure Elvis was very picky about that. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Red would get it set up, and then Elvis goes sit on the towels, and then they would drive and- to their next sexual victim again like i'm just thinking about the logistics of all this so like the towels are down the girls in the car like what happens then like is is elvis like disrobing completely or is he just like pulling his pants down to his knees or like is he even getting fully dressed between women yeah like is he sitting back there in like his boxers or is he wearing tidy whities like my mind's racing yeah. I mean, the idea of him being back there, even shirtless, just seeing that driving around, just like <laughs> shirtless pale Elvis in yeah. the back seat. I'm picturing the whole scenario, and I am definitely finding amusement in what I think the woman's reaction would be and being told, do you want to meet Elvis? Yes. And you're red, like, oh, they open up the back door, and he opens it up, and Elvis is sitting there on a bunch of towels. <laughs> <laughs> He's like patting the seat next to him. <laughs> You're like, oh, God, what's happening? <laughs> I just see him like, yeah, you open it up and it's, it is just like wall-to-wall towels and Elvis sitting there completely naked with a hard on, just like pointing at it. Come on, honey. Red have to wear like a hood? <laughs> he had to, I'm sure he was putting a shirt back on. Because they were probably, t- I mean, he, he couldn't have, his, was that your refractory period? 
Yeah. I mean, it couldn't have been like so quick that he's not even bothering. So they and probably it, drove around, ate something, <clears throat> sat and talked about it. I'm sure there was a lot oh, of discussion. Yeah, yeah. They're like uh, dead ringers where it's like it didn't happen unless they talk about it. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm sure he's like putting his, he's putting his stuff back on. Yeah. But is he taking it all the way off? Like I don't see him just like pulling his wiener out through his, his fly because I think he's like he's a very image conscious guy like clothes are a big thing for him so he wouldn't want to get like spooge all over it spooge and oh. juices all over his like fancy trousers oh you think yeah so I mean he's at least taking him down to his knees right yeah if not fully disrobing was Elvis a shirt on or shirt off guy like I mean I could see him always being by this book's telling he's very obviously he's very conscious of his looks mm-hmm. you know he's like dyeing his hair in grade school yeah and wearing mascara, mascara. Grade school, which is insane. Yeah. So I can imagine him being a guy who always thinks he's kind of fat, <laughs> like being like really embarrassed just because even though he's got a totally normal chest. Uh-huh. I don't know. I could see him being embarrassed about his body somewhat. Either way, a dark day for that woman. Or a highlight of her life. Probably both. Yeah. Kind of simultaneously. Yeah. But yeah, then it's a question of like where Elvis liked to finish. And that like, that also, I can really see him feeling strongly about that. So I get the feeling, well, I think the more sex you get, the stronger you feel about that, I feel like. Okay. You, you kind of learn what you like. Uh-huh. And if you don't get what you like, you're kind of like, yeah. not that satisfied. Yeah. So I can see Elvis, I can, I can see him being really into like shooting on women's faces. And I think that comes up in a book. I think I've read that somewhere. Uh, now that you mention it, I think there's mention of him liking to, uh, it's in the Memphis Mafia book. Elvis really liked to cut loose in a girl's hair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that would that I buy. That yeah. I fully buy. Yeah. And that actually ties in with, you know, he loves, you know, there's no um, secret about how dialed up he always liked Priscilla to be. Mm-hmm. Not perfect and always her hair was really nice. And then as we talked earlier about his liking to take like a virgin and knock her off her pedestal. Yeah. So to get a girl, especially a young girl, and get her so like pristinely manicured and done up nice. And then to ruin that through your sexual activity. Yeah. So she cut loose in her hair. <laughs> would definitely, I see how that would all come into play. Like, yeah. That definitely works mm-hmm. for sure. But I can also see him having an almost childlike fascination. Like he's one of these guys who are really into cream pies. Okay. And like seeing it. So like oh. shooting off and then kind of can see him kind of like kneeling down and looking, you know, and looking at it. And You'd just, have to have like a flashlight or something back there too, man. Oh, in the car. A picture of more in his bedroom. Oh, see, I'm, I'm still with the towels on the back seat. Yeah. Oh, in the car, I'm thinking it's probably, I think at that point in his life, he's probably still pretty, Just. I don't see him like, I'm picturing, oh. when I'm picturing him like getting really into cream bags, <laughs> I'm picturing like, I think like 70s Elvis. Okay. He's kind of out of it already. Sure. But would like finish and then just like stare at it, you know, kind of. <laughs> Bumping out, and he's got one of those little, one of those things that the doctors wear, <laughs> shiny. Yeah, so he can reflect things. the light in. Yeah, yeah. But tits, I don't really see him being a shoot off on a tits guy. I've never heard of him being like a tit guy. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard him being like any kind of like partialism. Yeah, like, like a leg guy or a yeah. butt guy or anything like yeah. that. Again, it's just my my mind just like running wild. But I just see him like doggy styling a chick and then just like blowing all over her back. Your mind is running wild, Pat. <laughs> well, they do. And talk- him just. <laughs> <laughs> and him like like giving a cheer when when he's doing it too. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rory. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can see that. Well, they do talk about him specifically 
like spanking chicks and then going in from the rear. Yeah. That's actually like on page 239 we discussed <laughs> that. Uh, so that was a specific thing he liked. From the rear, I don't know if that means anal sex. I don't take him as an anal sex guy. No. If he was, if that happened, I feel like that would come later on, like in the 70s. Yeah, a little darker times. Yeah. I don't yeah. see Elvis like, I think Elvis, I don't see Elvis being that comfortable with like icky stuff. Yeah. Like dirty stuff, right? <laughs> Anal, I think, would fit into that. You're Same. talking about poo poo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Butt stuff. And yeah, like we said, like the cunnilingus, I don't see, I see Elvis thinking, oh, that's kind of gross. And like, no, I want to put his the, mouth that's down. That's where the there. babies come out, man. Mouths are for food, right? <laughs> yeah. And praying to our Lord. But I do, in reading this book, that detail in particular, that Elvis was really into spanking chicks and then going in from the rear, if anything makes, if anything crystallizes my questioning Earl, it's him sharing that so perfectly highlights this relationship to someone he claims to be closer than brothers to. Yeah. And I think about close friends of mine and if they passed and there was any, like, any interest in a book about them, I just can't picture... Again, we'll go to Brad. Like Brad Passy, and I'm writing the book about our friendship and then talking about how he liked to like, well, he's really into spanking checks. Yeah. And then sliding in from behind. Like that was one of his main things. He wants to, he would want you to know this. Like <laughs> the fans have been asking. The fans deserve to have the truth. And Elvis wants you to know this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it kind of, it signals to me like, I think Earl might be kind of, that's one of the things that put him in the negative column, I'll say. Yeah. So it all leads up, I would say the cap to the entire boner aspect of this book is his and Earl's adventures together. Yes. And this is this is the bombshell of the book, right? Yes. Nothing this, comes closer. Right. This is the number one. Like if you if you pick this book up and you gotta read one part, this is the part that you want. Yeah. This is the selling point. So do you wanna just tell the story? Yes, let me... So I'll set the place and then you walk us through it. I think All they right. are in Graceland. I imagine it's probably in the 60s, probably early 60s, if not... Yeah, probably early 60s. I think they're back from the army. And as normal, there is a cluster of fans, female fans, down by the gate. Elvis is feeling randy. And as he normally would do, he selects someone to go out and uh, procure some of these gals to bring them up to the house. Does this have to do with... Doesn't Does he ask Earl in this instance to go pick out a girl and Earl kind of box... I think it's this one. You're, <laughs> you're grimacing reading our notes. <laughs> yeah. Much like when he ordered Earl to come go to bed with him, I think he was like, okay, go get me some chicks. And Earl was kind of like, gee, I'm a little bit too pure for that. I'm too good of a person. He doesn't sit right with me, Elvis. Yeah, I have respect for women. <laughs> <laughs> to which he, he says, Earl, we got to get you out of your shell and into the world. Girls come here because they want to be with me. They're creaming their little lace panties at the thought of walking through that door. And then Elvis has another thought. Bring back four. We're all going to have fun. And make sure they're young ones. That's a great, that's a great, like, oh, one last thing. Like, <laughs> oh, no, forget eggs. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Earl being closer than a brother to Elvis, he ultimately says, okay, he goes down and grabs four young ones. Without doubt, asks them at the gates, have you ever had a baby? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> 
They go, no. They go, okay, come on. Next one. Have you ever had a baby? Does your vagina feel like you've ever had a baby? Just as importantly. Oof. So they pass that test. And I guess, you think they walk them up to the house? Or we'll probably drove down. I'm sure they drive down. Probably drive, like yeah. Some, like probably a limo. Some fancy Oh, car. yeah. That just does the circle of the driveway. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So they get all the girls in the back, drive them back to the house. And this is where Elvis introduces to Earl that something even more exciting is happening for him. Earl's going to be a part of this party. Yeah. Uh, we're all going to have fun, meaning this is for us two and these four chicks. So it's a six-some sextet, I guess, right? Yeah. Two guys, four girls. I think the idea being, I guess I, I didn't get a sense from the story, like if they're like, these two are for you, Earl, and these two are for me, or therefore was it just like musical chairs? I think it's just a big old plate of spaghetti. <laughs> I think they're all intermingling, is my take. I think that's probably, that's how I'm taking it. Yeah, because at some point, yeah, it's definitely an orgy. Oh, yeah. Because there is uh, caressing and kissing mm-hmm. going all different ways. So, yeah. yeah, they're not paired off or anything. They're all right. on bed. Yeah. He tells Earl that it's time he learned what women are meant for. And then, do you want to tell us this? <laughs> sure. So, they're, they, they're now up in the bedroom. Earl's still very hesitant. But intrigued uh, with these four girls who are, who can imagine, I'm sure their gum smacking has slowed considerably at this point. (laughs) These like early teenage girls, suddenly they're in Elvis's bedroom, probably stinks like semen. (laughs) You know, there's a bunch of dirty towels on the floor. They're with this creepy guy, Earl. Elvis took off his shirt and threw it over the lamp, casting a sultry glow across the bed. He undressed completely, then flopped back on the bed, gently stroking himself. According to Earl, Elvis says, first one naked gets this. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so they all start spaghetti piling. Earl, as I recall, gets into it pretty quickly. Like his hesitation goes out the window right away. Can, and I, yet- can I just read this sure. other, other paragraph? Three of the girls giggled and began to strip, but one hesitated, having second thoughts at being part of an orgy. Elvis reached up and pulled her down to him tenderly kissing and caressing her while the rest of us watched spellbound. While they kissed, he slowly unzipped her skirt and slid it off. He broke away but kept his eyes fixed on hers while he pulled her sweater over her head, murmuring about how beautiful her breasts were. Once she was naked beside him, Elvis smiled at the rest of us. Better hurry up or you'll miss all the fun. (laughs) (laughs) Probably still back to stroking himself. So they do. They all dive in. No one has any problem with this. Yeah. Four girls are all like, yeah, sure. This is what's Happening. Yeah. We're into it. I'm sure they all spit their gum into Earl's hand and he goes and throws it into the bathroom <laughs> trash can. Wads it up in a Kleenex. <laughs> and then they're getting crazy. Earl's down. There's a really sweet moment on page 253 where Earl reports that a couple times I inadvertently ran my hand over Elvis's soft skin. And he responded with a moan of pleasure. So then, so they all, it sounds like they all bang and at least Elvis spooches because they're kind of done. And it's on to the next point in the night. Which you would think would be, well, get rid of these girls. Get some more. Get some more, or, or we'll take it easy, have a sandwich. And we'll pick it right back up. But no, Elvis has further designs that seem to come to him just in a moment of inspiration. It doesn't sound like he had it planned. And that's to, uh, Earl had been filming some kind of documentary footage. It sounded like B-roll footage for something. Or just, there was some project. Uh, it was beyond just like home movies, I think. Uh, but for some reason, Earl had a camera and a bunch of film. Mm-hmm. And it had been going around Graceland filming. So Elvis said, like, hey, I got a great idea. <laughs> and uh, why don't we film this, this great event? Earl grabbed that camera for me. Yeah. And the lights. <laughs> yeah. And a bounce card. That's the thing. Like, it's not just 
Earl, like, hey, Earl, go grab the camera and film this. It's it sounds like it's a real like, all right, we're going to we're going to make us a film. Yeah. So get the camera and get the lights. And Earl, you need to set up the lights this way and that. So the lighting's good. Yeah. And then it's off to the races. Yeah. We need a key light. We need a rim. We need a fill. <laughs> well, Elvis is in the movie industry. Yeah. He knows what it takes. He's a real pro. He's not going for some gonzo shit, <laughs> you know? So it's tripods. There might be a little handheld. Yeah. But only if they want to get into kind of like a new wave thing. Yeah. Mostly very static camera. Yeah. And so they film, they're banging, and they have a great time. There's a really fun moment the next morning. So eventually they finish with these girls and they let them all go home. Party's after, over. Yeah. They probably give them their little gift bags, yeah. their Elvis tote bags <laughs> with like some uh, refrigerator magnets. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, a little parting gift. Plastic bags to put their <laughs> soiled stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah probably like in the foyer on the little like side table in the foyer there was just a bunch it was like kids party favor bags yeah just like for the gals <laughs> you know you take one of those on the way home so then the next morning they're in the kitchen and as we all know how it is then the morning after you first have group sex with a good friend you can often feel slightly you're questioning things and you're a little off balance maybe yeah things have changed so he's in so earl is down in the kitchen where uh, elvis walks in and uh, Earl Im- immediately gets a little red-faced, to which, and the quote is, Elvis laughed when he saw my color and came up behind and wrapped his arms around me. I told you we'd have a good time, didn't I? That is something you've just had. I think most fellas, if they're having group sex, they're very conscious of minimizing the homosexual aspects of that. There's very little touching unless you're rifle towering and you need to, <laughs> to create the form. But that's High beyond. fives only. <laughs> yeah. so for elvis to completely buck that and do the gayest thing in this or probably any elvis book of like i mean he's coming up and basically he's putting his dick to earl's butt wrapping his hands around him like your wife does when you're washing the dishes and it's this see this is really throwing me for a loop because it's not only like is it kind of gay but it's like they're family right so like yeah this is super weird it's true. They are like closer than brothers. I don't know. Honestly, thankfully, I never had group sex with a family member. <laughs> but I could see my brother just to fuck with me and see me squirm <laughs> doing this. I can actually 100% see that. But I don't I don't read this as that being Elvis's yeah. intention. Like, yeah. This is just a tender moment. Yeah. So from there, they continued to do this all week. It's not just a one-time thing. Like They carry on for, yeah, a good week. Yeah, it's the new thing. The only difference being that the women get progressively younger, uh, bottoming it out on the last night when it was four 14-year-olds, which is pretty young. That's like eighth grade, I think. Yeah, that's eighth grade or freshman year. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty young. That's braces and shit. Yeah. We won't linger on that. <laughs> but this one gets fun because Elvis has a lot of insecurity about his sexuality as well in that he's under the impression that since he's such a sex symbol that women when they go to sleep with him uh, expect a real 10 bell performance like yeah. they think they're expe- they have very very high expectations right and he feels that even if he performs very well they're going to be disappointed and he becomes highly according to this book highly sensitive to that and further resentment towards women bubbles up around that idea that He's sleeping with these women, and then they're going like, eh, that wasn't so good, you know? So one of these unfortunates, these 14-year-olds, 
makes the mistake on this final night of making some very gentle, vague sign that she wasn't totally satisfied. And this might have been just a glance that Elvis misread. Who knows what this is? Yeah. But this triggers that vanity in Elvis, thinking that his virility is being questioned once again. And so he he pins her down and uh, pokes her once again with, quote, forceful, violent thrusting, which is a pretty dark moment, too, I would say. Yeah. It makes me think we shouldn't have even mentioned the fact that they're 14. (laughs) (laughs) That really makes it not even, it's pretty gross. That's pretty awful. Yeah. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah. That's up there. And that leads to a highlight of what they did with these films after this week, which of course they got them developed and it became common for at least a while for Elvis and the rest and Earl presumably, and the rest of the Memphis Mafia to sit and watch these films together, and Elvis would provide a running commentary. Yeah. And this woman left. She was particularly important to these commentaries. Why? I'm going to make you say this. Okay. <laughs> Elvis's favorite was the young girl he swore had been a virgin, and he pointed out bloodstains on his sheets to back up his claim. Yeah, which is pretty gross. Yeah, it's super gross. Yeah. You can't pause a projector, so he probably had to keep... So either he had to keep rewinding it to keep showing, like, look at that. Or they got a really good shot of it in the filming, in which case he would have said, like, Earl, get that camera. Get a load of this. Get this. Get this. As they had, like, a close-up of it. This is all just so bananas. Like, it just gets gets crazier and crazier as, as you go through. Like, so first, Elvis likes group sex. And then, like, Elvis brings his cousin into group sex. And the group gets bigger. And then it's like... Elvis films it, and then and they, they film, I guess, until they're out of film, and then Elvis is able to get this stuff developed somehow, and then he brings it back and shows it to his buddies, <laughs> and, like, it's just, it's nuttier and nuttier as the thing goes. Like, I can't believe, like, I, I don't know. I don't want to have sex around my buddies, first yeah. of all, and then, like, I don't want to watch my buddies having sex. <laughs> And then I just can't ima- like I can't imagine feeling anything than like just supremely uncomfortable in the situation. The projector's running and there's Elvis on screen like fucking with yeah. Earl. I'm expected now to like like be cheering him <laughs> on and like having a great time. It's it's bananas. It would be highly unpleasant. Yeah, sit and watch. Sit with your friend and watch him as he shows you. And, and presumably, as he's like sitting next to you, kind of like throwing elbows at you, like watch this part right here. Yeah, you're ready for some. <laughs> oh, this force. this is a real good part right here. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. <laughs> Somebody say forceful, violent thrusting. <laughs> watch this one, right? Look at the see the look in her eye. <laughs> she she deserved that, right? Yeah, you're right. It is. A very strange situation, and it does escalate perfectly as we go as a story. Mm-hmm. The only logical ending to this really is them all masturbating while they watch it, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing that could have really capped this story. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> but thankfully for the listeners, that is the end of Boner Talk, I think. Yeah. I think we're on to Emotional Elvis. I don't think there's – and I think there is boners in did Emotional we, Elvis. Did we talk about um, the – Sightseeing for panties. Oh, dude. Hey, it's Brad. Uh, in editing this episode, we realized that we went really long. Uh, it's like two and a half hours. So we're cutting it into uh, two episodes, which is why this episode uh, ends pretty abruptly and why the next one starts pretty abruptly. So uh, there you go. Just a little context. See you next episode. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.
Everybody's gone away.